Sanity, episode 18. 18, yes. Pastor Andrew, hello. Hello, Peter. Thank it's you. Our, we're in the middle Advent. of our Christmas series. Yes, and Deep in Advent, it. yes. What do you have for us today? I, I thought that we should continue. I think that we uh, hinted that in our previous episode that we'll be talking about whether Mary was a virgin. Well, now, uh, as a Catholic, now you're getting into rough territory with me. Not only with Catholics, I think. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, clearly she was a virgin at some stages of her life. Uh, that's <laughs> yes. uh, one, one thing. Uh, but here I think that we need to also quite quickly clarify some terminology because there is a lot of confusion about this ah, okay. and uh, so technically virginity is not having sex mm-hmm. and uh, at least the, the way it is understood now yeah and I think that in next episode we can speak about uh, you, you know later on how Mary became virgin second time, you know, or dogmatically mm. or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and uh, we will talk more about differences in our understanding of these terms and, and so on. But now going into dogmatics, and I'm not particularly strong in dogmatics, I'm more uh, in area of biblical theology and what I would call biblical science. Mm-hmm. or scholarship but uh, dogmatically there is substantial difference or there are at least three different uh, layers or uh, meanings of that and one is virginal conception and that is uh, that uh, Jesus was conceived by virgin and that is present in canonical Gospels or hinted, not necessarily strictly mentioned, and we'll be talking about it next time, I think, and in canonical Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And that puts us into a year 80s, you know, the late 70s and 80s of common era, roughly a generation after Jesus's uh, crucifixion, a little more than generation mm-hmm. after Jesus's crucifixion. Uh, next is virgin birth or virginal birth. Uh, and that is different from virginal conception. Uh, this virgin birth is, uh, it can be described in a different way as a dogma of perpetual virginity. Hmm. And that is uh, that uh, Mary, in this case, uh, stayed virgin after giving birth. Uh, it is known uh, in Greek uh, as Aie uh, Parthenos that means ever virgin and that was present as an article of faith in the church with church fathers say from the fourth century and is somehow present uh, in a proto-evangelium of James that's one of the evangelia 
Gospels, uh, which are not in the Bible. Hmm. You know, Proto-Evangelium of James uh, dates to roughly 150 common era. And it, its narrative clearly states that uh, Mary remained virgin after giving birth. And again, we'll be talking about it more next time. But so here we are already like more than 100 years after Jesus' crucifixion and uh, is this development of, of the dogma of uh, mm -hmm. virgin birth now. Mm -hmm. And then uh, very often it is uh, confused all these prior terms with immaculate conception uh -huh. uh, or dogma of immaculate conception. That is nothing to do directly with Jesus. Immaculate conception of Mary is the dogma. Oh, right. Uh, that is that Mary was conceived in a regular way by her mother and father, but in a special way because it was without being tainted by what is called original sin. Mm. And that is again based on this Proto-Evangelium of James. We see that this uh, Proto-Evangelium of James, which is outside of the biblical canon, mm -hmm. uh, was clearly quite influential within the Catholicism, mm -hmm. especially. So in, the, in the, nowhere in the, in the New Testament does, it, does this say anything about that? Is that, is that, what, you're, is that what you're saying? about yeah. Um, yeah. any of these the, these two uh, these two dogmas of virgin birth mm -hmm. is not present in the Bible oh, wow. and immaculate conception of Mary right. is never mentioned uh, in the Bible it is coming from this proto evangelium of James roughly dated into the middle of the second yeah. century. It means more than a century after crucifixion. And interestingly, even within the Roman Catholicism, this immaculate conception uh, became an official church dogma as late as 1854. Wow. When Pope Pius IX uh, promulgated that ex cathedra and you know ex cathedra in Roman Catholic Church means that it is an absolute truth mm. but it is as late as 1854 huh. you know it has been clearly believed before I mm -hmm. mentioned that it goes all the way back to proto-evangelium yeah. of James but it, it, it really became it almost was like, stamped Yes, and, yeah. and I think that it is uh, kind of like a reaction to a scientific exploration and so on, which is coming after enlightenment, and this is like a church in convulsion reacting to it and saying, oh no, we need to stop it, and so <laughs> here is our dogma, which will make it uh, forever truth, mm. okay? So these are the three categories. Uh, one virginal conception is in the Bible, and we'll talk about it more uh, next time. Uh, then virginal birth and immaculate conception uh, are clearly much later. Mm -hmm. 
But what can we say about uh, like historically or even biblically uh, about Jesus's origin, how he was conceived and born? Leaving aside now Matthew and Luke, which I said is at least a generation and a half uh, later, uh, after Jesus's crucifixion, so it means like two generations after the event or more. Mm -hmm. um, the oldest what we have uh, as a source about Jesus's birth is in Apostle Paul, a letter to Galatians. Mm. Uh, in chapter 4, uh, while he is talking about other things, um, because this is not the brand of his interest there, but he makes this statement, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is the oldest statement about the Jesus's and just birth. To, and just and to be clear, this is even though it is presented later in the in the New Testament, it is it is it is chronologically coming before. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I I thank you for catching yeah. it. Uh, this is the oldest uh, oldest statement about Jesus's birth roughly dated around year 50. So here you see that it is at least, at least uh, 20, 30, 40 years earlier than what we have in Synoptical Gospels, mm -hmm. you know, definitely in Matthew and Luke. And uh, this is uh, roughly year 50. Uh, that means like 15 years after Jesus's crucifixion. Mm -hmm. These this is a statement which was made while those who knew Jesus personally were still alive. Right. So, you, you, you know, here you have clear statement about Jesus as being born of a woman. Mm -hmm. And gynaikos is there in Greek. Uh, that, that's without doubt simply just regular woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, and being born in the most regular way. That's, that's like, the point. It's that's, almost, yeah, I was just going to say, it's almost like he's making a point that it, it, is, it is unexceptional. This, this exceptional God is born unexceptionally. The, the, this at, uh, exceptional God's son, let us right. put, okay, the, yes. the, use the terminology right. he is right. using, you know. Yes. So this absolutely special God's son mm -hmm. is born in the most regular way yeah. uh, of a woman and under the law that yeah. is within and what does their that really category. mean under the law uh, in this uh, case uh, he is talking about um, mosaic law oh, you okay. know uh, the jewish law ah. so it should be with capital l there mm -hmm. uh, you know torah mm -hmm. uh, that that is uh, probably it can be slightly more expanded uh, in that concept you know of of almost like any law, mm -hmm. but uh, here I think the, the, the primary focus of, of Paul in Galatians uh, is uh, really Torah, because the main brand there is whether people should be or should not be circumcised according to the law, uh. you know, that's his main, uh, you know, whether new Christians 
who are mm. becoming Christians from pagans uh, should mm. follow the law uh-huh. or not. You know, mm-hmm. so here he is making the point that you know uh, we are adopted with without need of that because we were liberated by by Jesus uh, himself yeah. okay so that's kind of like in in very nutshell uh, mm-hmm. recapitulating the, the Galatians but mm-hmm. you know don't take the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, you know there is so much more uh, there yeah. than this uh, but uh, so this is the oldest one you know, and for one East, uh, one one Christmas services here in Rutgers, we took that apart and we preached on it. Yeah. Uh, clergy, you know, taking individual parts of this statement, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and showing how rich that is, and how actually very encouraging and uh, deep that is. Like you made that statement mm-hmm. that this absolutely unique god son is born of the most natural mm-hmm. uh, human-like way mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that there is and good news in it very right. very powerful I, I would say m- more powerful than making that this birth so much special right right and and that leads me into another the old then uh, the oldest of Gospels, now going before Matthew and Luke, one of the synoptical Gospels and the oldest one by many scholars, really there is a consensus of scholars that the oldest of gospel, biblical Gospels uh, uh, is Gospel of Mark, predating Matthew and Luke, by something like a decade maybe or something like that but clearly the oldest and interestingly this oldest gospel does not have anything about Jesus's birth or anything of that mm. kind it starts with Jesus's baptism mm, right. you know or appearance of uh, of John the Baptist and Jesus's baptism so n- no uh, stories uh, of Jesus's uh, birth or childhood or anything of that kind uh, that's left out from gospel of uh, mark but this old uh, gospel or all this gospel we have still is talking about uh, jesus's family Right at the beginning of his ministry, it is uh, Mark 3.32, Jesus is preaching, teaching, healing, and early on in his ministry, family gets really worried for him, Uh, because that's dangerous, (laughs) you know, being an prophet in his time, and, and, you know, in the context is that John was executed, Mm-hmm. And and then we hear about uh, Jesus's family being worried for Jesus and going and coming and trying to fetch him and take him back home mm-hmm. <laughs> because they are worried for him. Yeah. I, that that's kind of my psychological interpretation, but I think it is pretty uh, obvious. Uh, you, you know, some people would say, "Oh, they thought that he is insane," but that that's another. Yeah. way of saying you know you yeah. know or that he is possessed that's another saying this is dangerous right 
being a prophet or preacher at, um, yeah. <laughs> at, it's it's attracting attention of the rich and powerful right. who will come with their soldiers uh, snatch you out so they are coming trying to get him and uh, because he is in the middle of the crowd they are sending the messengers inside of the house uh, crowds were sitting all around him and they said to him your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you mm-hmm. and jesus of course later on or in a sequence uh, you know response looking around who are my mother's brothers and sisters those who yeah. do the will of my father mm-hmm. you know and so that's uh his answer and of course his ministry continues but here you have the presence of of Jesus's family right here again it's it's mentioned almost like an by the way yeah uh, more talking about uh, who are the true uh, inner circle of Jesus uh, and closest relatives uh, but it clearly mentions Jesus's mother, brothers, and sister, and uh, sisters, and um, so that takes care of at least some of those dogmas we mentioned earlier, because that is a clear conflict with that perpetual virginity, and. Without any any further ado, you know, there are of course different uh, attempts to harmonize that with that proto-evangelium of James, you know, like saying, "Oh, that was because," you know, this term uh, for brothers and sisters can also mean cousins, <laughs> you know, or these are half brothers of Jesus from uh, because you, you know the, assuming that Joseph was older and had children from a prior marriage and those are half brothers of <laughs> Jesus uh, and so on but um, uh, you, you know those are all different kind of tricks I think it is uh, just an attempt to to harmonize and everyone sees through it that that's just not really as plausible as the f- easiest interpretation yeah. that you, you know Jesus simply had brothers and sisters yeah. of Mary yeah uh, uh, not half brothers or not cousins or yeah. anything of that kind yeah and so that we are not stuck only with this then uh, two chapters later or three chapters later in mark 6 uh, right at the beginning so it's actually two chapters uh, we hear that jesus came to his hometown again and disciples uh, followed him and on the sabbath he is teaching uh, there and uh, those people around are astounded uh, and are saying where did this man get all of this what is this wisdom that has been given to him what deeds of power are being done by his hands is not this the carpenter 
the son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? Hmm. And they took offense of him and uh, so Jesus moved out because he could not be a prophet in his home. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is, uh, this is again, uh, the, here you have even names yeah. mentioned, you know, and, and that is uh, clearly uh, like a supporting parallel text. So here you have the same thing said twice, two chapters apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite clearly, it is in this case even more difficult to discard uh, the the, dismension as as something uh, ephemeral or not important. Uh, Clearly, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, they're still known at this time. You know, even though we are like a generation and a half uh, after, the knowledge of that has been circulating Mm -hmm. and known. And that is still plausible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely more uh, even after a generation and a half than what we have with Proto-Evangelium of James, which is like uh, four or five generations later. Just think about your own family, you know, Mm -hmm. and how far reaches your memory yeah. unless you are doing genealogy uh, right that'll be where we start at coming into a mythology really mm-hmm. you know in those four or five generations 150 years back it's very very misty yeah I would say you know yeah. uh, in the regular family memories and histories and, and so on. So here you have, but there is something even more interesting here with, uh, with, this, uh, with this statement in Gospel of Mark. And that is returning us back to Galatians. Because here we hear that Jesus is son of Mary. And that is absolutely unique uh, description uh, instead of, of a instead person. Of, instead of son of the father. Yes, instead oh. of son of the father. Yes, yeah, yeah. You are absolutely right because that'll be the most common way of describing a person uh, in in oh, in ancient yeah. times. Uh, you, you, you know, I mentioned that Joseph uh, Jesus was quite common name, right? Uh, in uh, in you know biblical Palestine. Uh, just taking the list of names and and from the tombs, uh, collecting the names. Uh, at that time, uh, it was one of the most frequent names. And every 11th uh, mm-hmm. Jewish boy was named Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because it means that the Lord will save. Mm. So it was like a prayer, hope. You could also see what kind of tension they lived under. They were really oppressed or they felt oppressed. And so they were giving the names of hope to their children. So uh, there was a need of describing him more closely. You know, what Jesus? (laughs) Uh, uh, So it'll be... 
uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That was what we talked about last time. Yeah. But here it is, son of Mary. Yeah. Normally it'll be son of Joseph. Right. There is Joseph here. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, he is clearly not present. And so, how? What do you? How, what do you? Why do you think that was? That this writer of this gospel made that decision. There is something intricate about it. There, there is something in the history of Jesus which clearly uh, prompted this. Hmm. There is a more radical way and there is a less radical way of looking at it. A uh, more radical way is to notice uh, that the closest biblical parallel to describing a man by his mother is actually preserved in uh, Judges uh, 11, uh, where it is about a judge uh, Jephthah. It just does not go across my lips because uh, in, in Hebrew you would read it as Yiftach. You know, I, I just don't ask me that this is like a side, you know, yeah. how English could uh, <laughs> Hebrew yeah. Yiftach uh, pronounce Jephta. Yeah, yeah. But let us stay with English then. Uh, uh, now, Jephta from Gilead was mighty hero. He was the son of a prostitute fathered by the whole Gilead. And here you have the closest uh, yeah. parallel there. Yeah. And a man is described by his mother. Not yeah. necessarily here by her name, her name but by her <laughs> perhaps occupation yeah. or yeah. Uh, some specific. So uh, that tells you that it, how irregular it was. Yeah. Uh, another one is a little less uh, provocative, but will be like an outlining the limits within which we are operating. Another one is that King Solomon invited and received Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, whose father, a man of Tyre, mm -hmm. was a man of Tyre. So here you have another uh, example where a son is described by his mother yeah. and mentioning the father only as a second time yeah. on a second row. And, and, and so either here it is a widow mm. who married outside of Israel to an Goy. Uh, to a pagan mm -hmm. from Tyre, or the other one is uh, this very, very unsavory yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of background of a prostitute uh, or illegitimate birth. Right. In both, I think that almost both, uh, like in Jephthah, uh, so with Hiram, uh, you, have, uh, you have illegitimate birth. Mm. You know, one it is to a prostitute, yeah. Another one, it is to a widow who married outside of the, you know, the yeah. proper bounds uh, for any girl, uh, Israelite girl. Yeah. 
or Jewish girl to, to marry. Yeah. And uh, so we see that Jesus was, uh, that there is something in his background, yeah. which is somehow a little bit like illegitimate. I was, yeah, and I, and, and I was going to say, do you, do you think that there's any possibility that Joseph was a delinquent dad? And, and, and everyone knew it. That, that, that might be one uh, explanation. Actually, the older explanation within the, the in between the theologians and, and those who are uh, studying the New Testament and so on is that uh, just, just looking at Joseph, uh, he is like an, a later afterthought. Yeah. Either he is, uh, he is really, the Mary is a widow and maybe had the other children from later marriages yeah. uh, or something like that. Uh, but Joseph is a later afterthought, which was added into the stories. And, and you can observe that... Uh, in, in his really, you know, just very, very shadowy characteristics uh, you have there. Uh, his primary function is in the Gospel of Matthew, where he is almost like an archetypal second Joseph from the Hebrew Bible. Mm. We partly talked about it last time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's the, the, that's the Joseph uh, here. You know, I think it is to a large extent a legendary creation rather than a real historical figure that's among the, you know, relatively strong consensus among the scholars, uh, especially progressive scholars, that uh, Joseph is like an literary afterthought uh, later on, um, mm -hmm. mostly coming from the Matthew source. Mm -hmm. That makes me actually quite understanding and deepens my theological and here partly psychological understanding of the New Testament and of Jesus. And I know that it is a little tricky to, to use this psychological understanding, but to me immediately uh, Jesus is really uh, at the bottom of the pile in his uh, in uh, in his village. Yeah, yeah, you know, as illegitimate or partly legitimate, or who knows, yeah. a, a son of a widow, even the dead way. You yeah. know, uh, he he is an, clearly an ostracized child. You know, with father missing, uh, calling God father. Yeah. Uh, that starts to make sense immediately, mm -hmm. you know, because that is one of the characteristics of Jesus' teaching. You know, there are many doubts about what Jesus really said and what he did not say and, and so on and so forth. But clearly he preached about the kingdom of God. That's one of the clear messages, you know, almost undoubted. Uh, and the other one is uh, uh, that he called God Father. Yeah. And uh, here it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the, this kind of heavenly paternal figure and, and 
deep understanding what it might mean and how much liberating it can be and and then bringing it and sharing it with with followers and people around uh, and of course beyond uh, uh, just uh, family psychology here because uh, of course we are in um, patriarchal society and uh, father was definitely more than in modern times mm-hmm. as as much as uh, psychology knows about the importance of fatherly figures but <laughs> still it was much more it, it had it played the legal role and an organizing role and and everything so mm-hmm. uh, I, I I think that, that that needs to be said here uh, quite clearly and besides that that one uh, short passage about Jesus being carpenter just look, he is carpenter, not son of carpenter. Right. Here. You know, that's another right. interesting. And that this is the oldest. Mm. You know, I think that Joseph being a carpenter actually came from this mention of Jesus being carpenter. Uh. And and don't think that he is some kind of a fancy cabinet maker here. Yeah. Uh, in this you have the statement which simply tells us that he is an uh day laborer or he is yeah. an skilled maybe but laborer yeah working with his hands he is not like most of the his fellow people around him would be farmers right. sitting on their land he might be landless or not have enough land and so he needs to make living by offering his services it's almost like freelance of, work yeah, 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 working, yeah. working, and building scaffoldings, and and fixing this, and doing that, and and probably being very good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong, you, yeah. you know. But this is another uh, interesting insight. Yeah. Besides his, uh, you, you know, partly illegitimate or illegitimate birth, uh, uh, he was poor. Yeah. And that is why he understood. What, what people went through and uh, was quite clearly able to appeal to them yeah. and address them on their own level and, and lift them up. Mm-hmm. And, and in that uh, is, you know, as we are now in Advent thinking about incarnation, just think about it like incarnation even these days, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus being incarnate. Mm-hmm. And without any of those fancy whistles and yeah. uh, you know of, of angelic uh, annunciations and yeah, you know those yeah. are later theological bells and whistles, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, which have their purpose and we'll be talking about them uh, later. But now we are on that kind of historical level, and for me, it has even more potent message, mm-hmm. you know, because you recognize how low birth right. it actually was. Right. Truly and desperately. And how, how amazing it is that uh, God chose such a low birth. Yeah. And how much, therefore, it can enrich all of us. Yes. What about the whole idea that the idea of a virgin birth is prevalent in a lot of other myths and religions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and is that something that 
was known and therefore when they needed to make this birth virginal because they wanted this to fit in in that tradition or to be as legitimate of a of a of a messiah as those other myths that is an interesting question because uh, you, you know ancient virginal births first of all there were many uh, many heroes in uh, greco-roman world especially who were born to an couples of uh, divine and human or human and divine liaisons um, so yes did this divine human mixing was quite common it's even mentioned in the bible but uh, and judged harshly hmm. Uh, in early chapters of uh, of, of of Genesis, uh, where the divine sons are coming and seeing the human daughters and having children with them, mm. and those are those primordial giants which were washed out by by the flood. Ah. Okay, that was the wiping out of the earth. You, you mm-hmm. know that that's a myth, of course. Yeah. You know, but so this is their presence in the Bible. Yeah, uh, the Hellenistic world knew about those uh, ah. uh, heroes uh, who came from uh, uh, mixing of divine and human, both ways, uh, gods with human. Uh, mothers and occasionally not that often but occasionally the other way around as well so uh, goddesses with uh, human partners fathers Uh, but um, virginal concept i mentioned that uh, was different back then and that is something we need to account for as well and we'll be talking about it next time, mm-hmm. really. Uh, that, that needs to be mentioned that virgin in ancient times did not mean the same as virgin these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not necessarily. Uh, if you remember in one of our earlier episodes, uh, we talked about divine sexual life. Yes. And, and I mentioned that Virgin Anat is virgin, even though we have clay tablets describing her sexual relationship <laughs> with Gaul Baal yeah. or Baal. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and still she is virgin. Yeah. That's her regular title, <laughs> Batula Anat. Mm. You know, so uh, we, we need to to open our mind into much broader mm-hmm. uh, concept and we'll be talking about it next time well that's a good place to end and now i can't wait for next time perfect <laughs>